During the Vietnam War, the Tet Offensive was an operation planned by the North Vietnamese and Viet Cong forces to simultaneously attack Allied bases and urban areas in the South. The goal was to strike such a blow as to inspire an uprising in the people of the South and to crush the will of the Americans to continue the fight. But this was not the first time in history such an operation had been conceived. A sort of Tet Offensive was launched by the Confederacy during the Civil War with similar goals in mind. It was a fiendish plot to burn New York City to the ground. So call out the Bucket Brigade, put out the peelers to canvas in the area, and let's delve into some untold Civil War. Welcome to another episode of the Untold Civil War Podcast. I'm here with Jacob Bates, also known as the History Boy. And uh, you're 14 years old, right? Yes, that is Four- correct. 14 years old, already a hard charger when it comes to Civil War storytelling. <laughs> he has a YouTube channel, which has uh, how many subscri- subscribers, right? How many subscribers now? Yeah, over 11,000 right over now. Over 11,000. And I have like... 42 or something like this so you're already you're leading the charge man it's awesome this is really great stuff and you're here to talk about uh an untold story of the civil war it's actually very close to my heart since i live in new york city we're gonna be talking about the uh plot to uh burn new york city thank you for coming on the podcast man absolutely thank you for having me so i'm just gonna kick this off here and i'm gonna ask you how did you get interested in the civil war So I don't want to give, you know, a generic type of answer, but I really always have been interested in the history. And uh, when I was really young, more so in the American Revolution, I kind of went through little phases, but I stopped here at the Civil War. Uh, I'm very interested in all history, really, but there's something about the music and the generals and the battles and something just, you know, it it really hit close to home for me. And um, it just got me very interested in it. And I do have a few relatives I just found out about who fought in the war before I didn't really know anything about them. Uh, one of them was in a West Virginian regiment, but he fought for the Union. So. Oh, all right. Are you going to contact the Sons of Union veterans and uh, maybe get linked so, up? With them? Funny you should mention that. I just joined them in uh, Connecticut, oh, Alden Skinner Camp 45. Yeah. Fantastic. So, uh, it, it's fun. Do you ever reenact as a young kid or anything like that? Yeah, you know, everything you're mentioning, I just joined uh, the 8th Connecticut Volunteers Company A. Oh, nice. So I'm the drummer. So it's, uh, yeah, living the dream in the terms of Civil War stuff. Doing there you go. Can. And when did you start the YouTube channel? How did that start? That must have been in 2016 because, you know, I had just seen a ton of people doing it. And uh, I was just uh, very interested in starting out. My parents said I had to be at least 10 years old. And so I think it was around that time, uh, maybe a little bit later. And uh, I slowly started getting a few subscribers. I would tell all my friends about it. And YouTube started recommending my content to different people. Um, And it just kind of started taking off. My first really big video is Bonnie Blue Flag, which is a famous Confederate song from the war. And um, I recently met someone in the uh, second South Carolina string band who uh, they, they played that song. Right, yeah. And I got exclusive access to uh, one of their union songs that I just posted, which is pretty cool because they don't really play union songs a whole lot. So. Right. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just, it's taken off in the last year or so and just become a big thing. Uh, that's cool. So um, which song are you doing now, the newest video? So the newest video I just put up um, is Brass Mounted Army, the yes, 97th. Okay. Uh, I heard that. did that. 
Yes, it's a comedic one. But I think I've heard pretty much all of the Civil War music I can hear. And I just pick uh, my favorite songs and put them up and people enjoy them. So that's all I can hope for. You know, just for my listeners, it is awesome. I, I see the videos all the time. They're really great. Do you have a favorite song? Like one specific song? Oh, God, that's hard. Uh, I'm thinking probably Battle Cry of Freedom. You know, oh, that's yeah. A great one. That's a good one, too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the one that I got access to. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just it's been great. Well, you know, going more into it, why do you think I mean, I understand that you've had this passion for Civil War history, like a lot of us do. Um, but why do you think it's important to study and share Civil War history? Right. I mean, exactly. So many of us in the community, you know, we're so interested in it. You can get, you know, wrapped up in it yourself. But the more I go to school and talk with people, a lot of them don't really understand that much about our own history, not even just the Civil War, but the American Revolution. More when you get to World War II, more people start to understand that. But I just think it's vitally important people understand the history about really the foundation of our country and how we got to where we are. And, you know, you make a better future by knowing your past. That's what I think anyway. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I absolutely agree with that. It's funny that the Civil War, I think, is one of the greatest epics or the greatest epic of the United States. And yet it is so little understood. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And there's a a lot there to uh, pick apart and and, uh, dissect to understand it. And in understanding the Civil War, you know, like you said, you understand us as a nation. But uh, you're here to talk about one specific story, right? Absolutely. So uh, can can you give us a little bit of background on the incident? All right, for sure. So uh, just starting off, I actually first saw a documentary on the History Channel about this in the summer of 2019. And uh, that really sparked my interest. And when you asked me, uh, Untold Civil War podcast, do you have a story? This is immediately what came to mind. So basically to set the scene, it's 1864. And General Grant, who's now in charge of all Union forces, is pushing into the heart of the Confederacy. The war between the states, as they call it in the South, or the Civil War, has run four years past the original 90-day deadline which both sides thought the war would be over. The death toll still continued to rise, and major battles shook the nation, as Confederate will still does not break. However, the Confederacy was getting tired and desperate. Extremely low on soldiers, proper uniforms, and especially supplies, the Confederate cause was almost lost, and winning the war seemed hopeless. So that's just to set up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like, you know, the Confederacy is a little bit desperate at this point in the war. And they might have to use sort of unorthodox or unconventional tactics. So what is the plan exactly here? Okay, so basically, as you know, in the 1864, General McClellan was running against Lincoln on the platform that he would end the conflict in terms of creating a peace agreement with the Confederacy. Of course, he wasn't a general at that time because Lincoln had fired him, so there was uh, some old wounds there. Um, So the Confederates believe that if McClellan was elected, he would be much more amenable to accepting a peace with the Confederacy, as we discussed, which might be one of their last hopes to uh, winning or kind of tying the Civil War. 
So Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederate States, decided to create a Confederate Secret Service, which would disrupt and infiltrate the North. So that organization was based actually out of Ontario, Canada, and the Canadian government knew about it, but technically they weren't breaking any Canadian laws. So we'll talk more about that later, but as for uh, right now, they were okay with what the Confederates were doing. So that seems a bit sketchy to me, but yeah. as the Confederates, <laughs> they're based there. So, so these, considering... they're basically the James Bond of the Confederacy, these guys. They're secret agents, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Some of them, most of them are veterans, actually. Some of them have not had much experience with uh, incendiaries and explosives and really going on secret missions, but most of them are Confederate officers and veterans of previous battles and campaigns. So they were handpicked men from the Army of Northern Virginia, and um, I believe Jefferson Davis met with many of them beforehand. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So these Southern agents, part of the new Secret Service, devised this plan. So they'd make their way into the United States by train, and they'd bring with them various means to commit arson. So they'd go into major northern cities, such as, such as Chicago and New York City. And following that, the agents would also reveal stashes of weapons that they had somehow obtained that were stashed in large cities, and they'd reveal these to copperheads, which were basically the northerners who were tired of the war. And they thought that then these copperheads would rise up and basically overthrow the various city governments. So in New York, that's where their biggest plan was going to take place. They believed that uh, these supporters would be able to capture important buildings and the federal arsenals. So the most fantastical part of the plan was that the Confederate agents and supporters would then capture the town hall in New York and then actually raise the Confederate flag over the city and declare that the city had seceded and become part of the Confederacy. Let's take a quick break just to acknowledge that I'm right there with you. There I was trying to get to work, digging the snow out from under my car, swearing in more languages than one. Pretty sure I invented a few swear words. It was not fun. Last thing I wanted to do was go back out there to pick up groceries. I mean, I was beat. I had to work through that storm, and I was done. I was about as dissatisfied as the Union Army after First Bull Run. However, I'm airing this on Valentine's Day, and so my main issue is that Valentine's dinner has to be made, or I know I won't hear the end of it. Luckily, I have a link to Instacart that will allow you to have your groceries delivered to your home. No digging of the snow required. So if you're in a similar situation as me, being as desperate as the Army of Potomac after the Battle of Fredericksburg, use the link below to support the show and save your Valentine's dinner at the same time. This, uh, you know, if it, if it wasn't true, you really wouldn't believe it. Like, you know no. what I mean? Like, if, if someone told you this and didn't show the fact that this actually happened, you wouldn't believe <laughs> that this would, you know. That being said, New York City was known to uh, be controversial. You know, there was talk, the mayor of New York City, Fernando Wood, at the beginning of the war, was already talking about seceding from the, the Union. So it doesn't surprise me that there is strong right. secession sentiment over there, uh, especially when you consider the fact of the draft riots as well. 
So there's a lot of people oh, very true. Yeah. in New York City who are not happy with the war, whether they're pro-slavery or not, they just don't want to be fighting anymore. So that is interesting. And it's interesting they pick, I think, you know, picking these big cities to make such a major statement. Yeah. Uh, sort, of, sort of reminds me of the idea behind like the Tet Offensive in Vietnam, mm-hmm. how, you know, you attack mm-hmm. these uh, major cities and you blast this on the news you know, when people see this, they're going to be convinced that the war is over and Lincoln, uh, Lincoln may lose the election, which is what they want. So that's uh, there's a lot in there. That's a lot. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. But you, you really do have a point. Uh, it, it sounds very fantastical. You know, Harry Turtledove, he's this author that writes incredible uh, stories like if the Confederates had gotten AK-47. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, I remember, yeah. This, it, 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 yeah. It's right in line with that, except it's true. Yeah, it's true. So are they successful? They're not successful? What happens? Okay, so basically, as we discussed, they're going to target major northern cities. So Cincinnati, yeah. Chicago, Boston, and most importantly, New York. But due to a few different reasons, including tips from Canada to U.S. authorities, the uh, United States troops were actually sent into New York to ensure a safe election. So a lot of the Confederate agents that were in New York decided to get out of there, and uh, most of the other plans were canceled. So some of the Confederate agents, eight of them to be exact, decided to lie low for a few weeks in the city instead of leaving. So to fit in, they were sightseeing, attending Broadway shows, and basically just having a grand old time while their fellow soldiers were off fighting on the front lines and being slaughtered. So it must have felt really useless and just disgraced at that point. After that, Lincoln was elected president because they missed their window. And Southern agents that were still in the city were just furious. So General Butler had withdrawn all of his soldiers from the city, and everything was going back to normal, except these agents could no longer do anything to stop Lincoln's election but they could get revenge. So as you discussed, they're very desperate and they're very angry. So the Southern countryside around the Shenandoah Valley in particular displayed uh, forest farms, burned homes, and the agents thought that they should just bring some of that destruction to the heart of the North and to New York City. So the eight or so officers which were still in the city decided that they would strike in 10 days time and set prominent hotels and hopefully the whole city, the tinderbox that it was, all made out of wood, ablaze. This chemist, no one knows his name, no one ever found it out, provided these agents 144 vials of an incendiary substance known as Greek fire. And that item can be compared to Molotov cocktails nowadays. So it's interesting to think about the level of support that the Confederates must have had in the North, because this chemist provided these vials without ever notifying authorities. He was really on their side. And the craziest part is that the chemist allowed the agents to practice with these uh, Greek fire bottles in Central Park in midday. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So that makes no sense. (laughs) Um, Okay. I mean, happened in New York City, you know, I, I, it's funny, they say there's so many crazy things happen in New York City that, you know, when something crazy happens, people just kind of like shrug and keep walking because <laughs> I wonder if this was one of those things. I don't know. Um, <laughs> this could have been. Oh, uh, that's but crazy, yeah. It is. So in any event, um, the agents practiced only basically for a few minutes. Uh, and a lot of them, as we discussed, they'd never 
had experience with incendiaries before, uh, so they didn't have experience with these uh, Greek fire bottles. And they just set off uh, to set the city ablaze. And so on November 25th, 1864, not taking into account the calm weather conditions, which would make it harder for the fire to spread, and with a very small amount of planning, the agents set out. So they sealed the bottles of Greek fire, and they targeted over 20 different hotels in the city, which were all a distance away from each other. That was done in the thinking that it would be much harder for the fire department to fight the flames if fires were set in different locations, which makes sense. So they gave it some thought, but with more time, they probably could have planned uh, better. But, you know, they were just so fed up, I guess, and just uh, completely angry that they decided to go for it. So eight o'clock at night, when it was suspected that not many people would be present, the eight officers that called themselves the Confederate Army of Manhattan began to set their rooms ablaze. So we have a firsthand account from one of the agents named uh, James Headley, who described the event. So these shouldn't really be taken as gospel, but they line up with the other accounts and the newspaper reports of the night. So using their resource of these 144 vials of Greek fire, the agents gathered flammable objects in the room, and Headley said that he consolidated chairs, bedsheets, stacks of newspaper, and whatever else he could find on his bed. And then he then used turpentine to uh, pour all the bed, as did the other agents, according to him. Not according to the plan. The one thing that happened was that one of the agents got drunk and stumbled into P.T. Barnum's famous museum. And so that was Captain Kennedy, who, after setting multiple fires, had the drinks, and then, with over 2,500 spectators, set another fire within the main corridor of the museum. So Kennedy had ruined the element of surprise um, for the other agents because these spectators saw this man set a fire in the museum with one of the extra vials and panic ensued. And they notified the fire department and the fire department arrived. Before the fires were supposed to be found, they were supposed to be given time to spread and engulf rooms. Before they were supposed to be found, the fire departments had already arrived. And so chaos just ruled in the streets. And as these agents slipped out into the street, they could hear many people talking. And they already suspected that this fire in Barnum's museum was part of a Confederate plot. And as more people in the other hotels discovered fires had been set, they started realizing that maybe this really was part of a Confederate Secret Service attempt to um, influence the morale of the northern public. So the next day, General John Dix, who was the overall commander of Eastern District of the United States, based in New York, was furious. And he promised swift action against the rebels and gave the word that all conspirators involved would be captured that day and hung within hours of their capture. So the whole city was on lockdown and newspapers printed full page reports of the fire, including illustrations and descriptions of the agents. So all the citizens were urged to be on high alert and to be looking out for the agents. So the fires were all put out just within hours. Some of them blazed on into the morning, but none of them really caused serious damage because of Headley's actions at Barnum's museum. Also, because of those actions, the fire department was able to get there. They put out the fires. Were there any casualties? Did anyone get hurt by the fire? Do we know? 
there were zero casualties oh, wow. is the most incredible part. Uh, they did set Very the lucky. fires at 8 o'clock. Yeah, because at 8 o'clock they believed most people would be out of their rooms. So they thought it would um, give them a better chance for the fire to spread. Um, but yeah, because of Headley just being drunk and setting that fire in Barnum's museum, everyone saw that, called the fire department. So then when the other fires were discovered, the fire department was already there and could easily go to them. So right. that was a fatal flaw there. And then what happened? So what's the aftermath? What happened to these agents? Did they escape? The authorities were on their trail really quickly and close behind them while they were sneaking through the streets. And they were so close, in fact, that Headley and another agent actually saw one of their contacts being questioned. And that's really incredible to imagine without all of the uh, forensic evidence or anything that we have nowadays. Mm -hmm. So the police were really doing their job fantastic. Um, so the agents really did struggle to escape, and they decided to lay low for the day. And in the morning, the agents were trying to act like normal citizens, so they purchased train tickets and stepped onto a train headed out of the city. And the authorities were soon on their trail again. So as the agents arrived in Albany, they made their way to Toronto, and a detective soon followed. So going into the future again, Two days later, a couple of New York City detectives arrived in Toronto, right behind them. But Canada was still not willing to harbor the agents. So the Canadian and New York authorities worked together to track down the agents, who were now also criminals in the eyes of the Canadian government. Because before, the government had harbored them. But now, you know, they had crossed a the line. They were trying to burn a city basically an act of terrorism. Uh, the Canadians were no longer going to harbor these Confederates. So the, su the Southern agents just panicked and they gathered all of their belongings and they tried to take off for the South. They were fleeing Canada because they were no longer safe there. So by wagon, by boat or train, the majority of the agents managed to evade authorities by acting and escaping quickly. But nonetheless, in a country as bare and as vast as Canada, was at that time chasing criminals all the way from new york and the chances of catching anyone were pretty slim but still the authorities did manage to capture one of the dozen or so original agents who carried out the fire attacks so it, it really is amazing that they could even capture one because canada yeah. was so large and uh you know like we were saying without the use of any forensic evidence or any modern police tactics um, or detective tactics they were still able to capture one man named uh, Robert Cobb Kennedy. So he was a Confederate veteran who had, unlike his smarter counterparts, not left the United States even. And he was arrested outside of Detroit at a train station and very quickly imprisoned on the artificial island of Fort Lafayette, New York. So at first he denied taking any part in the fires but a newspaper article described his extremely suspicious behaviors while in prison, saying, During Kennedy's confinement here, while awaiting trial, he made some very foolish admissions, wrote several letters which have told against him, and in general, did, either intentionally or indiscreetly, many things which seemed to have rendered his conviction almost a matter of entire certainty. So, indeed, Kennedy revealed so much information that told against him, as the writer said, that with the public so furious about the burnings, his conviction was swift. And Robert Cobb Kennedy was hung on March 25th, 1865, and went to the gallows with his last and most important mission to burn the city 
being a complete failure, with a casualty count, as we discussed, of zero. So Kennedy was the only convicted conspirator from the so-called Confederate Army of Manhattan. Wow, great job on the uh, Metropolitan Police for that. Uh, And the fire department, yeah. So this guy got, he was hanged, but what about the person Headley? He he wrote about it after the war. Nothing came of that, right? (laughs) No, no, nothing did. You know, it's funny because uh, probably nowadays that that was really a terrorist action right you know they were trying at at the end of the war we were all one united america Mm -hmm. and they the only person that was actually executed for war crimes after the war was um what was his name from andersonville prison words right words yes absolutely it was Mm words but he was not american so that might have factored into it if he was american i really wonder if uh he would have been you know, yeah. killed. Yeah. But yeah, and then came of Headley. He just wrote about his terrorist actions, and <laughs> that was fine, I guess. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in conclusion, what do you think? Why do you think it's so important to remember this incident? Basically, with more planning and more skilled officers that actually knew how to handle incendiaries, New York really could have easily been set to flames. So if this was carried out in time as well, ahead of the election, North possibly could have grown tired of this destruction and death and elected McClellan, who very well could have signed an agreement with the Confederate States and ended the war peacefully. And so with the Confederate States of America becoming a real country, um, could that have happened? I mean, we'll never know. And that's really what was at stake there. That's what's important. That's the important takeaway for me, at least. Yeah, it's definitely a big what if, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, if these agents had done a better job and done the job that was intended, our whole country could look very different right now. So it's really interesting to contemplate. Absolutely. Of course, I, I think it's really interesting to show that the Civil War touches so many places during the time. Uh, the Civil War was all the way out in New Mexico. The Civil War was, as you stated, in Canada um, and New York City, Virginia, Tennessee. So it affected all places. You know, and I think Absolutely. it's a great story of showing how the Civil War came to New York City. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, I think the last battle of the war was uh, Palmito Ranch, and that right. was out in Texas. Texas, so yeah. Absolutely. So absolutely. It really touched many different places. It wasn't just sending regiments from the states. It really battles and even actions like these. They came right. to places you wouldn't even believe, you wouldn't think about. So that's the absolutely. untold story. Yeah. Of, uh, the Confederate fires in New York. Well, if people want to learn more about this, I know you did the research. So what resources would you recommend to people who want to learn more? So I did not actually get a book, but I've heard there's a very good one called The Man Who Tried to Burn New York. And that's by Nat Brandt. And you can find that pretty easily on Amazon or Goodreads if you're interested in that. But um, I used a majority of online sources. Uh, My favorites of those were by Clint Johnson, that was called It Was a Vast and Fiendish Plot, and uh, that's the Gotham Center for New York City History. And that's actually a great website I found while, resource, uh, while researching this I didn't know about. And the other website I used was called, let's see, it's from the New York Times, and it was just simply called The Plot to Burn New York. But that was a very lengthy one. It was, it was a good one. It was actually part of a, I think, 100-day Civil War thing Uh, that this blog called The Opinionator did, where they wrote about, I think, each day of the war. 
So it might have actually been even longer than that, but it was interesting. So those are the two main sources I used. Another thing I would say about the New York Times is they actually have an archive online. And I think as long as you have a membership with them, uh, you can access that archive. And I've found newspaper articles that go all the way back to the 1850s. Wow. So I want to learn about, about that. the militia units and their organization and you know, when the units were marching off to war and stuff like that and battle reports. So that's a great source. And maybe if you want to keep using the New York Times. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, yeah, I, I definitely that. recommend it to people. But how can people learn more about you? Like, uh, how do they get to your YouTube channel and uh, your social media and access to those awesome videos, man? I am History Boy on YouTube. I'm the first one that comes up. I actually just worked with a uh, graphic designer named Mike Stretch. He did a fantastic job, and we did a whole uh, revamping of my channel art. So it's uh, pretty original. It's a Union Drummer Boy there with uh, HB. So if you just look up History Boy on YouTube, it will come up. On Instagram, I'm HistoryBoyYT, and I post some uh, bonus stuff over there. And that's how I met you and uh, how I got on this podcast. But Fantastic. And of course, I mean, you've already come so far. So what is the future for History Boy? Where, where can we see you going? What's the plan? You know, that's a really good question. I would really like to be a historian in the future. This has been a great opportunity to kind of see what that might look like, especially if you were getting interviewed by a documentary team or some such. But um, I'd all like to be kind of like, you know, Ken Burns and make uh, Civil War documentaries and historical documentaries and maybe even movies. I'm a big fan of Gettysburg, Gods and Generals and things like that. Andersonville, there was a movie about that. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of things in, uh, in the film industry, many different historical paths I'd like to explore. That's awesome. I've started doing Civil War uh, movie reviews. Um, we just oh, did uh, Horse Soldiers. I saw uh, that, yeah. So one of these days, let's have you back on. We'll pick a movie that you like, and we'll uh, discuss it to death and break it apart, you know. Fantastic. Um, when, when you. Are, if you're interested in doing that, of course. So. Uh, yeah, that would be fantastic. I'll look forward to it. Well, thanks for coming on. It's been great. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and sharing a story, like I said, that's very close to my heart being a New Yorker. So thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for ha uh, having me. It was a really fun experience and hope to do it again soon. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed that episode while you looked for your significant other's favorite chocolates, picking out that right bouquet of flowers, sending a carte de visite to your loved one back home, writing a longing love letter, or whenever you listen to podcasts. Thank you to all my listeners. Thank you to Craig Duncan for the music. And please check out the YouTube channel. We've got a lot coming on there very shortly. Follow me on Instagram, like me on Facebook, and hit that five-star rating on iTunes. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, and I hope you tune in next time for the next one.